This show is a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, the Justice League of board game podcasts. Find out more at Dicetower.com. Episode of the Family Gamers Podcast. This is episode 323. Hello, everybody. Welcome to all of you. As always, we are the Family Gamers. I'm Rose David, and I'm joined by my lovely and wonderful wife, Anitra. That's me. And we have some guests on the show. This is the Family Gaming Podcast. We love nothing more than to invite family gamers on the show. So this week, we have Daniel and Allison Burrell on the show. Hey, guys. How are you? Hey. Hello, everybody. So I'm trying to match energy. Trying to, trying to match nah. radio energy. My dad actually carried uh, a DJ, so he would go into that like, "Hello and welcome." Uh, hey, yeah, hey, welcome. hey, yeah. I, I don't quite have that '50s radio announcer voice, but yeah. He's- so we're doing good. We're weathering the cold snap and about to bake a bunch of stuff and then play a bunch of board games. So yeah. our internet's out. We pulled out old DVDs of like Home Alone and Elf. And <laughs> nice. Branch. Hey, whatever you got to do. It's funny. You know, we're in Massachusetts. It's 50 degrees here. You're in, I think, Arkansas. And it's yeah, it's five degrees there, yeah. two degrees there. I think it, last I looked, it was 12 degrees. But with the wind chill, it feels like negative two. So yeah. we're not opening the door <laughs> except to get firewood. By, right. by tomorrow, our, our roles will be flipped. I right. Think. Yeah. Pretty close. Pretty close. What was it? I think one of our friends said they're up north, but they're like, why do I live somewhere where I walk to my car and my boogers freeze or something? Like oh, that? yes. Yeah. 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 I would live down south. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like, why do you live where the air hurts your face? Right. Yeah. Yes. yeah. Why do I live where the air hurts my face? Right. And the answer yeah. is there's no scorpions here. That's, or crocodiles. Yeah, none of those. That's why. That's, that's why we live with the air hurts yes. our face. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, you gotta you gotta weigh out your your own personal preferences. No. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, as always, I do have a fact about our episode number three hundred twenty-three. This is a nice, short, concise fact. Uh, as of twenty twenty-two, when this article was written that I pulled this information from, in the entire world, did you know, Anitra? And Daniel and Allison, there are 323 international land boundaries. That's cool. So like borders between countries that are land, not water. Exactly. So like between the United States and Canada, there is a land boundary. But between the United States and, say, England, there is not. There is a water boundary. There is a water boundary. So the entire, if you look at all the countries in the whole world, all the land boundaries that they have with other countries, there are 323 of them. Yeah, so they would like. Africa and South America that I mean that adds up fast oh, between all those. Because, I thought there would be more. Oh, I would I was going to say like Central Europe So so I actually got yeah. here's the here's the other extra part of this. So I actually got this fact because in the Guinness Book of World Records it talks about the continent that has the most of them. Which is which? Which is Africa with 110. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So in Africa there are 110 right. land boundaries, but across the entire world there are 323. And in North America, there are like three. Yep. (laughs) Yep. There's fantastic. Well, two, really. I mean, you have Canada, you have the United States, you have Mexico. Um, But then you also have the border between Canada and Alaska, which is a separate land boundary than uh, the I one between Canada and the rest pr- I of suppose US. you're right. Okay, fine. Anitra is right once again. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> and the number is three. That makes sense. Yeah, I didn't think about that. I just thought of Canada being north 
in Mexico. Beach. Yeah, well, you know, Anitra's smarter than me, so what are you going to do? <laughs> I, thanks. I think. <laughs> I think that was a compliment. No, it was. Well, we've also got a short message from our sponsor this week. Did you know that according to a recent poll sponsored by the National Foundation for Credit Counseling, only 18% of Americans feel very confident about their retirement. So if you aren't sure about retirement, you're not alone. If you want to talk to a professional to see if you're on track to achieve your goals, go to firstmovefinancial.com slash familygamers and schedule a quick phone call to see if First Move is the right fit for you. Thanks so much to the folks over at First Move Financial for sponsoring the Family Gamers podcast. All right, guys. So it's that time in the show where we talk about some games that we've been playing. I know you guys have been playing a lot of games. We've been playing a fair number of games. We're going to cut it down to like two games a person. Deal? Deal. All right. Deal? Okay. That's eight games that we're going to bring to all the people. And then we're going to talk about even more games after the break. Uh, Allison, you are the lady guest. Would you like to go first? Sure. I can go first. One of the ones that we recently brought to the table was Splendor Duel. And I really like that game. Um, With Splendor, we brought that to the table early on in our gaming venture um, and liked it. But then everything else replaced that game. Yeah, Splendor is fine, but there's other stuff that's more interesting. Right. It was like, there's other things I would, like, I like the mechanics of it and things like that. But there's other things that I would rather fill its spot and put to the table. Splendor Duel, like we love dueling games, Daniel and I, especially with coffee and and in the morning, things like that. That was just one of those, like, it surprised me because of how different it was, yet it felt so familiar Mm -hmm. and allowed Mm -hmm. a lot more interaction between the two players. And like, okay, I really need to watch what you're doing versus with just Splendor. It was like, I don't really care. It was really just a solo game where we're all just trying to go to the market. Yeah. This one was way more interactive. I just they, I liked it a lot. They did a really good job of not just slapping dual on it and like changing it just enough to make it different. It really is familiar mechanics, but it is a very, it's a very well executed two player version of Splendor. Yeah. I was impressed with it. Cool. Is the box gigantic? Just like regular no, it's Splendor. Not. It's an appropriately sized box. <laughs> you could actually fit the it, Splendor dual inside sideways of the Splendor box to take the insert out. And have room for both. That doesn't surprise me even remotely. Like, that's my axe to grind with Splendor. It will always be my axe to grind with Splendor. Well, I'm glad they've been taking people's suggestions on that. That was the first thing we said in our review of it that we posted recently was it's in an appropriately sized box, which is shocking. That's excellent. That's excellent. Maybe I'll buy them both at the same time and store them in the Splendor box. (laughs) (laughs) One downside, I think, about the game is... I really like dueling games that you can play like on a bistro table because it's a small box. Mm-hmm. You think, okay, I can just take no. this coffee shop. It does have a yep. little bit bigger of a table presence just because you have to have the center area and then you each have your own little engineer building. So mm-hmm. if you've got a yeah. coffee shop that has bigger tables, then it would be fine. But I was like, I wish it were just a little bit more condensed, but I don't know how they would do that without making the cards really tiny. No. They already are small. Sure. Well, it's, it's a lot of game in a little box. Yeah, it is. Cool. cool. All right. It's mine. Awesome. All right. Well, I guess would you like to go next? Sure. Do you want to talk about something that is very much not a small box presence? Uh, Yes. Okay. (laughs) We got a chance to play Lacrimosa. So I've seen a lot of other people talking about this game. And at first, my opinion was like, wow, that seems like a really heavy game. Like the theme is interesting to me because I love classical music and Mozart and especially Mozart's Requiem. The whole story around it and how he died before it was complete is really interesting to me, but it's a pretty heavy game. Like it's very involved. And even though it's five rounds, the box says 90 minutes, which we all know means like 
three hours the first <laughs> time you play it. We figured we'd give it a shot. We set it up. It took a long time to figure shut out up, what shut we up. were have doing. You, have either of you played this game? No, we haven't. No, I've seen it. I think actually your picture that you posted online was the first time I have seen it set up. I have only seen oh. the box or like a... Mm. A faraway picture at the table. I've never. I saw it. I've never seen the components at of it. Gen Con, and I, I was taking pictures at Devere. Setup yeah. on that game is a doozy. Whew. It feels like it takes up a lot more room than it needs to. I don't think that's true. Once you get it all set up, uh, maybe I think that it, there's just so many parts that there's you have to separate there. out and figure out where everything goes and this and that. Like it'll go th- faster th- next time. Yeah, well, it'll go faster next time, and it'll just be kind of easier to take things out of the box in the right order. That as too. opposed to yeah. having to spread everything out and then put What's it's like this? when you know. rearrange a room that fits together nicely and everything that you can't take put anything on a shelf so like it's a complete mess right like that's kind of what this game was like to set up the first time so do you feel like it was more 90 minutes per player versus 90 minutes for the game well so it ended up taking us two and a half hours to actually play the game okay and i definitely think that a huge part of that was figuring out what in the world we were doing so right. i think that People who know how to play this game, at least at two players, can play this game in 90 minutes. I think 90 minutes might still be a little optimistic, but not ridiculously optimistic. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, it's certainly true that what you do on your turn is going to affect what the other player does on their turn, but it's not to an extreme extent. So, like, if you do some turn pre-planning and all those other things that you would kind of expect people to do in a complicated game, I don't think you're going to have a problem hitting that number. It's just if you completely check out until someone says, hey, it's your turn. Yeah, you're going to hit 90 minutes easily. Uh, Yeah. But I will say I really liked how all of the pieces for this fit together. And while we were sitting there playing it, I looked at him like, I told Andrew, this is a heavier game than I would normally play for sure. But I really feel the truth of the maxim that theme is everything because everything started to click together for me a lot sooner than it did for Andrew. Easy, easy. I, I'm not saying that you didn't get there. It just <laughs> like, because of the theme, I was like, oh, okay, I get it. We're retelling some of the history of Mozart's life. So we're in phase one, which is his early life. And we have options to travel or to write music or to recount memories that give us more abilities in the future or we can always work on the Requiem, which is kind of the end goal of the game. So the premise of the game is like there actually is a story premise to this game, which is that Mozart's widow is meeting with uh, composers that he worked with over the course of his life. And they are recounting the stories of Mozart's life to her. So he's already so passed by the time this, this that's, game That's starts. the premise of the game, okay. yes. Okay. Yeah, so you're kind of trying to work through that whole process. And that's why when you mentioned like memories and things like that, like that's kind of the conceit of where all that stuff comes from. I like that. That doesn't really like play into the mechanics of the game. Like it really just kind of plays like it's going through the phases of Mozart's life. But in the rule book, there is this kind of conceit. that That's why the um, the things that cover up the parts of the Requiem are named the way they are because yes. it's kind of named after her. Because it's Con- Costanza. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's cool. Mm-hmm. One of the things I thought was really cool was this sort of area control-like mechanic for composing the Requiem itself. So the Requiem is a piece at the bottom of the board. It's one of the options you have on your turn is to add to the Requiem. But the way you do that is that you're actually not a composer yourself. I think you're like a sponsor. And so in every game, there are two competing composers working on finishing the Requiem. And you as a sponsor are choosing like, hey, for this section, I want 
this guy to work on it. Well, maybe for the horn section, I want the other guy to work on it. And so at the end of the game, you look at each section of the Requiem and you say, which composer has the majority in this area? And then every player token that shows that composer gets the like larger score. And every player token that shows the less favored composer gets the smaller score. But the thing that's interesting about that is like the composer is not attached to the player. So as you're playing through it, you can put down tokens that represent either composer based on, you know, some things you buy. And so if you recognize like, okay, this composer has three or four of his icon in the, I don't know, the Sanctus, for example, or the Anus Day, then you could say, okay, well, there's no way the other composer is going to have majority in that area. So I'll just put some of my own tokens in with that composer's icon. So it's kind of like area control, but it's not area control that's attached to you. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, we're, we, we're kind of looking at how it, how it is represented on the board. Mm. Mm-hmm. Now I want it to be played at the end. So is that part of like? <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? Well, I, I do have a recording of the Requiem. I mean, you could, <laughs> is that public domain? Can I put that in the show? Probably oh, is. Um, I'll see I what mean, I can do. The Requiem itself is public sure. domain, but a recording of it might not be. Yeah, no. I'll, uh, I'll see what I can find. I'm going to try. You guys should listen to the show after I'm done and see if you can oh, hear some of the Requiem. Put a little bit underneath here. Yeah, something like that. My favorite part of this game, the component in this game are absolutely stellar. The player boards for this game are second to none. These are the coolest two-layer player boards I've ever seen. So they're two-layer player boards. And one thing that we were confused about when we first opened them, which I realized later, is the player boards have no words on them. So they are completely language independent. There is an insert, and I had forgotten this when I first opened this game, like literally the day we got it because it was so gorgeous. I had gotten rid of all the languages that were not English. Although I think I kept the German rulebook because I'm trying to learn German, but I got rid of all the pieces that were in different languages. So when you open the player board, there's a little section where depending on what language you're playing with, they have all these inserts and you can like stick the insert for like the player aid into your player board in your language, which I think is clever. Oh, that's cool. It's super smart, right? Because we're like, well, why am I putting the English insert into this thing? Because I had forgotten that there were four other languages in the box when I opened it. Uh, (laughs) That's how they make these things reusable. But the thing that's super cool about this is that you play cards into either the experiences or the story section of your player board. And all the cards that you play into the experience of the story section, they're kind of like, I don't want to say two-sided. They have like a top half and a bottom half to them. And you actually slide the cards in between the two layers of your two-layer board. It's hard to like explain this. We're looking at it. That's that's really interesting. Yeah, if you look at a picture, you can see it, right? And they slot in like perfectly. Like the tolerances are are perfect for this. And they really just fit right in. And it's so clear the iconography is a little bit tough to get over at the beginning, but it's so obvious what things are supposed to mean what in terms of how you play out your turns. I don't know. I just, between that and the the tokens, and I love to do a layer boards anyway, as long as oh, they don't yeah. warp, which I know is a problem with dual yeah. layer boards. It was just fantastic. I mean, and great. the art across this whole thing is just like this gorgeous classical art. It, it was awesome. The cover just it. really grabs you too. Oh, That's right. Like, that yeah. cover is amazing. And the spot varnish. Yeah. Yeah. I am. If, if you want to win me over, just put spot varnish on your game <laughs> and I'm pretty much done. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm horrible when it comes to judging a game by their cover and by like the art. Tell me about it. Like, 
you know, that's if you, why, if you, that's if why not, it's designed yeah. that way. If you're not going yeah, to right? in the good art and good cover, then I yeah. don't know if I want to invest my time in playing it. Now, that's bit me in the butt multiple times because there's some really interesting <laughs> gameplay that has bad art. But that's mm. kind of mm. front. So have you guys played Gutenberg? No, no, we don't play a lot of Euros. Okay. You should play Gutenberg, though. So this game and Gutenberg are my two kind of favorite heavier games that I've played in the last... 18 months, mm-hmm. year, I guess. At least six months a year, um, yeah. This game is not quite as smooth as Gutenberg. Gutenberg is like butter. I can say this now since this episode is coming out after Christmas. <laughs> Gutenberg is so good that when I was at Essen, I bought a big box game by the same developer just to bring home for my kids oh. because it's not available in the States. Uh, it's a game called Spacecraft. But um, Gutenberg is just this unbelievable game. It, that's based on the Gutenberg Bible, right? So it's, it's you know... Well, in, the Gutenberg printing press, the, anyway. Okay, it's based on the printing press, you're right. <laughs> so it really puts you, uh, once again, in each it back in historical Europe, just like Lacrimosa. I just love both of these games. They're so great. And there's a lot of opportunities to learn some historical stuff in both of these games. They're... Gutenberg is a lot lighter, though. It Gutenberg looks- is lighter. I think that once you figure out Lacrimosa, I don't think it's that much heavier than Gutenberg. It's just not quite as smooth. Uh, Gutenberg is a lot faster and simpler. You're a lot more constrained in your choices of what you can do than you are in Lacrimosa. That so, makes sense. Anyway, I was pleasantly surprised just how much I enjoyed this game because I thought I would enjoy it, but it's also not really in my wheelhouse. And I was wrong. Hey, anybody want to guess who won that game? I'm assuming I'm Anitra. did. <laughs> that's not the reason why correctly. i enjoyed the game it, helps, though. Yeah. Well, it I, always helps yeah i found like it doesn't hurt i really like terraforming mars but i think it's because i think i've won like i yeah, like the space game but i think i've won every game <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well two or three yeah i mean anitra won 77 to 69 so it's not like she destroyed yeah, me huge but jump. she did beat me yeah i don't know anyway it counts all right daniel it's your turn Tell me something you've been playing. This was difficult, but I think the the game that has jumped out the most to me is Block and Key. Mm-hmm. Have you okay. a chance to play that one? I have. I played it at QScon back okay. in September. Yeah, it's we played it games. with we played it at the Gamma Expo, and then they sent it to us to review about a month ago. And I just the the production quality of it. I love the heavy, chunky. Oh man, they feel so good in your hand, don't they? Oh, and clay. then just the spatial puzzle is so just so unique. So if you haven't, for anyone who hasn't played it, you're sitting around a four sided like pedestal, playing these basically three dimensional Tetris tiles into uh, the same area. On, onto the board. But everything you're trying to score and make different patterns, but it is exclusively from your perspective on the board. So you're trying to score from your direction, but you have to, with the placement rules, you're placing stuff in different places on the board and trying to line things up. But it doesn't matter, like depth doesn't matter. It just, if you get on the level with the board and you see the pattern you're trying to make, then you you get to score that card. So you're constantly messing each other up because you may place <laughs> something behind and there's like with the placement rules, you have to place corner to corner unless it's taller than the piece that it's touching. So it forces you to really expand across the board. Mm-hmm. And it was just on that 
someone places something that's great for them and now they're covering up the blocks that you needed. It was just such a fun spatial puzzle. And I really like puzzle games. I really like spatial puzzles. I also won like 36 to nine the first game we played. So yeah, again, that's not why I liked it, but it helped. <laughs> but it just, uh, the production of it, the design, there's just so many little design things on it. Like every inch of real estate on that board is used for, like you don't have reference cards all of your references for the game, once you know what the icons mean, are all around the outside of this board. And it just, it's so well designed, so cleanly designed, and just such a fun spatial puzzle to play. Yeah, we really enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. I will say Jared and I kind of got head to head in one area because he placed one and it messed me up. And so yeah. then I placed one. I was like, oh, did that mess you up? And then so we kept going back and forth. <laughs> score high on that one at all because we kept messing with it each is, other. It is specifically like the rule is you can only score if you contribute to the pattern you're trying to score on your turn. So it keeps you from like, oh, you placed this one. I'm going to I'm just going to go ahead and score it. I like that rule because you can't just stumble into scoring based on what other people are doing. Right. Did you have any issues with stability? Because uh, when we played it, now granted, we played it in all fairness in the cafeteria of a hotel, like where the hotel kitchen is. Uh, um, so it wasn't a great table <laughs> that we played on, but we did have some stability issues. If you're trying to get, because I think you can build six tiles tall in the board yeah, is tiles, it's yeah. it's a two story board or like two layer board where it's a base and then legs and then the top. So the base is your... Um, well, it's it's your marketplace. Box. Yeah, it's the marketplace. So it's the actual box, but it's similar to uh, same Hills. execution as Mountains Out of Molehills, where you have a, a lower right, layer yeah. above. I think we had one time that it got bumped and fell. Um, you really do have to seat the top into the legs. Otherwise, it is a little wobbly. And I'm curious long term. I didn't like that to build the play area. You have to like take the legs and fold in tabs and seat the box inside. That seems like it's going to be mm. long-term and might start to deteriorate. I don't yeah. know. Maybe it's super strong cardboard, but <laughs> we gave it a good kind of got everything seated really well, almost a little un like more than I wanted to push everything together. It was pretty stable. Yeah. Again, actual- I think, Building I think we of had, it was yeah. it's, it was more so okay the dexterity of the people that I'm playing with. Right. Is gonna <laughs> yeah. You need to wear tight sleeves. No, <laughs> no, like you are reaching sure. over and placing stuff. But I think we only had right. one issue, one where either Peyton or Jared were reaching across and they bumped something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think as long as you're paying attention to physically placing stuff carefully, then yeah, then you should be pretty good. Yeah, a wobbly table seems terrible for that game. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it, Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it certainly like we had we really had this problem with mountains Mount out of molehills. Like yeah. really, there was a lot of things falling over in that game, and it was definitely less with this. I really like the way this game works in terms of the kind of the different perspectives. It reminded me a little bit of Saikatsu with depending on which direction you look at it from, the scoring is going to work differently yeah. and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So I like that. I thought that was a really cool. Uh, mechanic to uh, block. Yeah. And I just took, I took it just with my phone, just took a really cool camera shot walking around to all four of the sides. And it was obviously it's going to be different, but I was, I had never done that when we had played before. And I was shocked at how different every side looked. Just, you don't realize how with a game like that, where everything's going on in 3d space, how different Mm-hmm. everything looks from each different seat so yeah. it was just it's a really cool mechanic that i think is executed really well and again the clay pieces are just so satisfying to play with i totally agree they feel 
just great because they're so heavy. Yep. Right. I mean, the, the box is a relatively small box. Like it's, you know, wide and, and tall, but it's height and width, but there's very little depth to the box. Yeah. But it, it's, it's, it's hefty. It's very narrow. Yeah. I yeah. yeah. happy that it was a sleeve. She does not like sleeves. I don't like sleeves. Like ours is on the corner is already torn. Yeah. And we've only had mm. it for like, what, four weeks? Yep. So I, it, that kind of hurts because it's gorgeous. Like the art is gorgeous yep. on yep. the sleeve. And I'm like, it's already torn. Mm-hmm. But it just means that it's played yeah. right. Yep. <laughs> yeah, no, it means it's love. It is the it's a personality. So, yeah. Yeah. So it, it's by necessity, but yeah. Yeah, it's gorgeous. Uh, right, Andrew, yeah, turn. my game. I'm going to talk about a game that we have we have mixed opinions in the Family Gamers household about this game, mm-hmm. at least for now. Uh, and that game is Once Upon a Line. So this is a game that is hitting Kickstarter in January. I know we don't usually look at pre-Kickstarter stuff, but this game has such a cool mechanic that I was, the second I saw it, I was like, okay, what do I have to do to get this game in my house? And I want to look at this and I want to play this game. So this is a game that's coming from Lucky Duck Games. They do a lot of really cool. They do. Stuff they there. do a lot of really inventive stuff. Yeah. And like they did Yummy Yummy Monster Tummy, mm-hmm. which was you know super smart. Um, obviously, Chronicles of Crime, which is an, an award winning game and deservedly so. So, Once Upon a Line, have you seen any pictures of this game? Do you know anything about this game? Dana I've, looked at me like, "Oh, I know what they're talking about." And I, and I saw know. the. I've seen a little bit about it. Is it the one? Is it a crossword puzzle? Pretty much, yeah. So, so it is. Imagine you get these sheets, right? One for each chapter, essentially. And it's not so much a crossword puzzle, but you're actually scratching the sheet off like it was a scratch ticket. Oh. Yeah. And so if usually when you look at a sheet, you're going to see some icons. And so when you open the story, because it's story-based, it's going to say something like, blah, 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 blah happened. Scratch off all of the squares with this icon. And then you'll scratch them off and it will reveal a word. Mechanically, the way the game works is there are square brackets at the beginning and the end of just regular words. Mm -hmm. And then there are braces or curly brackets, depending on who's talking, uh, (laughs) that are at the beginning and the end of what are called, I think, power words. Is that the the term they call words of power? And so the way the the game works is these cards come out that tell a little bit of story. I don't remember exactly how they're marked up, but like they're stylized if they're words that you're going to find on the sheet. They'll usually include one or two other words that would be good words to look for but you might not see right away. Yeah, it's it, one of them is like they're stylized like in a different color. And, and then the ones that are going to bisect the word that you're currently working off of are like also underlined. So, you know, they're connected to it. You know, those things you see online where it's like mom's name, dad's name. And it's like it looks like scrabbled pieces where, you know, and you're supposed to hang it on your wall kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. So so you, you're going to know which words are going to connect in this kind of crossword scrabble style with the word that caused you to read the card that you're currently reading. And you have these characters who have defined actions, and those actions are a number of squares that you can scratch off. And you have a limited number of actions per turn. At the beginning, you have like four actions. And in the prologue, which is what we played, you you only have one character. So you have one character with these um, little square line things. You can almost think like the block and key pieces, only they're like straight lines and they're two-dimensional. And you're like, okay, well, I have with one action, I can scratch off four or three or two, or I can combine the three and the two together and scratch off five. And you're kind of hunting around to try to find those words that are connected to the word that caused you to flip that story card over. 
uh, so that you can reveal those other full words and then act on those full words. Okay. But is it cooperative? Are you all trying to find the same words just using your different characters? It's a cooperative yeah, game. It's a cooperative and cooperative it even when game. there's multiple characters, it's not really like a character is assigned to a person. Oh, right. It's more like you're, you're all just trying to work through this story and be like, oh, this character seems like his actions would be better to solve this part of the puzzle. Or I think when we get further on into the game, different characters will be in different quote unquote regions of the board. Right. They denote that by the colors of the words. And we kind of got into this at the very end of, of the prologue yeah. where we pulled out a card and all the word we were in the blue, blue. region, right? Yeah. So all the text was blue. Wow. We pulled out a card and there was some green text on it. And we're like, okay, this is interesting. And so there was some instructions on, okay, now you're over here in this region. So you can switch regions and that costs an action as well. Um, or some bad stuff, I think. Yeah, or if you have multiple characters, you can obviously, you know, split them apart. So it feels like it's it's like a legacy game or like a campaign game because you get little bits of yep, totally. as you go through it. Right, and you obviously can't reuse the scratch things, right? right. So. <laughs> is it a one-time yeah. thing, though, like legacy? Like once you know, you know? Or yep. is there like other things you can do? Kind of like their, um, the Kids Chronicles. Right, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's not, so it's not a campaign. So we just did a, a show on campaign games versus legacy yeah. games. So this would quite qualify as a legacy game because you are permanently changing these boards that you're scratching things off of. Okay, and it's not like a pad that gives you a bunch of different ones. It's right. It is. Right. Okay. Right. Exactly. Now they made mention in, cause we obviously we have a prototype copy right now. Mm -hmm. They did make mention that you can totally get like a refresh pack. So like the primary like pieces of the game, like the story anchor elements, they don't get changed in any way. No, it's just, these, <laughs> yeah, yeah or, or whatever they are. I mean, it's a, it's actually a pretty robust, like, plastic. And, and this is actually what I emailed Lucky Duck about. Like, that first card that we were scratching things off on. It was so it was hard a, to scratch it It was off. hard. And I think they're still, I mean, it hasn't even hit Kickstarter yet, right? So I think they're still working through some of that. The second card that we scratched on was way easier. But there's, like, a pretty robust. Have you ever, like, scratched through a code for something, but you scratch too hard and you, like, ruin the code and then yeah. you have to email yeah, so I was super afraid of that with this game. That was definitely not nope, an issue. Nope, the backer for this is like, that's not a problem. <laughs> um, but I mean, this mechanic is so unique, right? So like we would do things like, okay, well, how can we use some of these actions? Because we have two words that cross each other and we know that the other word, we know it crosses with this word. And so it could be this letter or this letter, which means it has to be here or over here, but we don't know which one to go for. So if we scratch off these three squares that cross this other word, then that's going to tell us, you know, if it's using this one or that one, like it was a, there's a lot of kind of like deductive, like logic reasoning stuff. And there also are underneath the scratch, like there's certain icons that'll say like bad stuff happened. So you can't just be like, I'm just going to scratch off whatever. You or know stop what I mean? immediately. Or stop immediately. Right. And, and lose so, the rest of your action. So we actually, in, in one or two places, we're like, okay, well, what direction do we want to scratch in? Because if we hit a stop, we want to have gotten as much information as possible. So if you're on an adventure in a very unique way. It's really yeah. fun. Like, I think Anitra was just frustrated with how difficult it was to scratch off that first card. And I, I really, truly think that that's a material thing that they're going to work through. Yeah. But it's a, it's a really neat idea I just was like, that is a game I want to play. Well, are they just distributing or is it actually going to be published by Lucky Deck? Published by Lucky Deck. Um, yeah, I think it's published by them. Yeah, no, they're not. They it oh, okay. That's cool. Yeah. No, we, we're a fan of Lucky Deck games. Mm, totally. My big complaints on this were it was fun, but it the scratching off being so challenging made it less immersive and less fun for me. Mm -hmm. Also, 
I think this is probably the messiest board game That's, I've ever played. That is true. And I've played clip cut parks, which That's, left little paper scraps everywhere. And I've played water table games with my kids. Yeah, because all that scratch stuff, like you, you kind of need somewhere. a little like envelope to push them into or a little trash can or something that that's a good point game table with your gamer mat or anything like that yeah yeah yeah, you actually you don't want to get because you need something hard to put the thing on so you can scrape um the material off but again with that second card it came off a little bit better that's true so i agree with you like it took us a while before we're like it's really stupid that we keep getting up and walking to the kitchen with a handful of shavings maybe we should get something and bring it closer (laughs) like get a little handheld vacuum (laughs) Just, or, oh my gosh, it's so like a little dustbuster. Dust yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, okay, oh, that's funny. Part. <laughs> Vacuum it up. Yeah, but if nothing else, I absolutely recommend people look for this because if this mechanic hits for you, it's going to hit for you and you're going to love it. Mm-hmm. Like if you're like, okay, this looks really stupid. Okay. I mean, that's not everything is for everyone. But the game hits Kickstarter on January, I think, 17th. Okay. We're definitely going to talk about it more because we're going to play through the yeah, uh, the next the section. Chapter. I can talk about the tutorial from a story perspective if anybody listening is kind of curious what the story kind of does. But the prologue for the game is the actual prologue for the game. Uh-huh. So I'm not going to talk about yeah. any of what's going on with that. I'm very interested and in I'm excited to learn more about it. So. Yeah, it's it's really cool. It's Once Upon a Line. All right, Allison, we're back to you. We made it. We made it around once. Yeah. <laughs> well, we've been playing a lot of roll and rights lately, so I was, I was going to do one of those. But we went over to a friend's house the other night, and I saw Furnace, and we have been wanting to play Furnace. I love that game. Mm-hmm. I um, love that game so much. have not had a chance to play it, um, not on any conventions, and um, our other gamer friends don't have it either. So I was like, I really want to try that. So it taught really smooth, and then it played, like, before we were done with the first round, everything clicked. Yeah. Um, and I, mm-hmm. I really love, so what you're doing, basically, is you're, it's called Furnace, so you're you're building your engine um, of how you're working with its resource management and open bidding. Mm-hmm. As you are bidding on cards, you can either get the card or get the resources and the reward on the card. And so what you're trying to do is basically just get your engine going so at the end it produces enough money and whoever has the most money at the end of four rounds wins. But the open bidding was so fast. I don't really like bidding games. I always end up with the short stick (laughs) bidding. (laughs) Well, that could be good in Furnace. Right. And I loved that it wasn't secret bidding. So it was like the numbers are on both sides of the tokens. And so wherever you put it, I know that you have a four there. Like, it's not like, I don't know what he's got. Mm -hmm. I I just really loved that open bidding. And so, in fact, sometimes I put a lower number because I wanted the resources on the card and ended up getting the card. And I was like, oh, okay, well, that was surprising. And then just being able to choose. So you've got your cards that you've accumulated throughout the rounds in front of you, and they each do a certain thing for you. But you can choose during that round which one you want to play first. And I like that you can change that up depending on what other cards you've gotten in play later. And that was really interesting to me that your engine didn't just work one way the entire game. I could mix it up how it would benefit me the most. I just, I don't know. It was very fascinating. I loved how smooth it played, but it still was very satisfying. Um, I think I got, I think it was second place. I think Richard won. Yeah. But um, I don't know. It was, it was. 
So here's my question for you about Furnace. Okay. So did you play that every round you could completely rearrange your engine or did you play that you could only add to the beginnings and the ends of your engine? We played that we could arrange it however we wanted and then just choose and turn the card sideways when it was completely used. Like a lot of cards, if you, you can upgrade it. So a lot of cards, it was like, if you didn't upgrade it, it would just give you like two resources or one resource, but then you could upgrade it from your main card by using two other resources and so you'd flip it over and it could do two things, right? It sounds like you're implying that that might be incorrect, that you were supposed to execute your engine in the order that they are laid out on the table. Yeah. So, um, I mean, unless unless I learned it wrong, which is possible, every round when you add a new piece to your engine, like you always execute your engine from left to right, but when you add to your engine, you could completely rearrange it. So like, yeah, it no, I mean, we, we played the way, the way that he taught it was that you can execute in any order you want so it didn't really matter where your cards went. Now, when we were, mm-hmm. after we were done with the bidding part of the round, when we go through and satisfy the bidding board of just like, okay, mm-hmm. this person, you get, these three people get these resources. Okay, this person gets the card. That would always be from left to right. And so like in some of those cards, the resource or the reward from it was you get to trade, say, two of one resource into the other but if that card is in front of another one where you get right. the one to trade, you have to still do it in the same order. So that was a little bit of a interesting balancing act there. But as right. far as when you were actually executing your personal engine, we played that you could do them in any order, but you would have to do that card in its completion before you moved on to any other card. Yeah. And, well, and, that, and that was still true in the way that we played it. I think that it's just a presentation difference because if you can rearrange it, then you can do it in any order, right? Yeah, that would make sense. I found that doing it in that way led to a lot more analysis paralysis, especially because the way that we did it, you had to line them up. And so you really had to think through all that stuff before you even started processing. Yeah, I think by the third, definitely the fourth round, I was like, okay, let me read my book first. Yeah, (laughs) there were. (laughs) Let me see what I've got in front of me and figure out what I need to do first. And there were definitely a couple rounds where I I was not paying attention to what I was doing. And I did it out of the order that I should have and and messed Mm -hmm. myself up because I would look at the icons on the top and just not click that I don't get those. Yeah, <laughs> I, I do this one thinking, okay, well, I can come back and I get these resources then, and then I can trade a bunch of stuff for money. And then I would get to that one and be like, oh, I have nothing to trade and I have no way to get right. it. Right. Yep. So, yeah, I feel that. Yeah. I So the, the variant that I had been told about was when you get a new piece for your engine, you can either add it to the beginning or the end, mm-hmm. but you can't rearrange the middle. Which means that your scores in general will be lower because yeah. you can't really min max on every turn, but you're not paralyzed by trying to do a huge level of analysis every <laughs> single turn. Mm. So it's kind of a, a give and take, and it depends on the style of gamers you're playing with. Mm-hmm. Adding in that element would really oh that gosh, could that even, would make the strategy yeah. heavier, even. Yeah, it shifts the analysis to the bidding part where you're looking at. Yeah, it does. It, yeah. yeah. And then we played with the, I, I'm assuming you do this every time with your asymmetric. Unique character powers. Unique character powers. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. yeah with mine, um, mine was more for the bidding. I had an extra token. It was an extra number two token that I treated like it was another one of my colors. So every bidding round, I had an extra bid, which was a lot of a lot of fun. Daniel, you had oh, one cool. where it was also during the bidding where you yeah, didn't I- have to, the rules in the bidding where you cannot place another Uh, bidding token with the same number or the same color. So you can't bid on the same one twice. 
Well, his character could ignore both of those rules. So, so I could I could win oh, wow. the card and also take the resources from it. Right. On the same, on the same was, which was yeah. which was really nice. But so I liked those. They added a whole different mm. just twist to the game, and I, I'd like to play the different ones um, just to see which sure. one I would prefer and which one balances better. But yeah, I liked that a lot. It was a lot of fun. Now I don't say this. Always or even frequently, but Furnace is a game where the game mat actually adds quite a bit to the experience. It, yeah, it's just like, yeah, it feels so good to have that game on that mat. Is it yeah. just the mat then? Or, or is it like when you play with without the mat, is it just the cards on the table? Yeah, pretty much. Okay. Yeah. So I didn't know if it came yeah. with another board. Because some of them. No, it doesn't. No, it, no, it doesn't. Yeah. No, it, it's a much more cohesive experience when you have that mat. Yeah. That mat. That. Yeah. All right. All right. Back to Anitra. Back to me. <laughs> Oddly for me. I have another uh, historical-themed game. This one is very different, though. This is Gift of Tulips from Weird Giraffe Games. Oh. Uh, we've been holding on to this for a little while, and we're getting ready to review it. It's really cool. So first of all, just the art and the theme, again, it's set in historic Holland, Holland right? at pretty much the height of the tulip bubble, but... Rather than deal with like speculation and stocks and use that kind of idea, which has been done before, this does away with that whole idea and says, we're here for the tulip festival. The festival is all about giving tulips to our friends. Mm -hmm. So it has a mechanic that I'm not sure I've seen in any other game where you will almost always get more points for giving tulips away than you will for taking tulips and adding them to your own tableau. Huh. The way it basically works is there's four kinds of tulips, and on your turn, you're going to pull two, one at a time, out from the deck and do something with them. You can keep one, you can give one away, or you can add one to the festival, quote unquote, which might change up the ranking of how the various tulip breeds are valued. Uh, so you've got a first, second, third, and fourth place of the tulips. And those determine the values for what happens when you keep one, what happens when you give one away, and how much those tulips are worth at the end of the game. So the third and fourth place tulips will give you points when you keep them. But the first, second, and third place tulips will give you points when you give them away. So you end up with this really interesting balancing act of oh man, this tulip, if I keep it, gives me nothing right now. It might be worth it at the end of the game if I can keep a majority in this tulip and keep the value high for this tulip. But if I just turn around and give it to somebody right now, I'll get points right away, but then I won't have the tulip for the end of the game and they will and I'm pushing up the number that they have. So it makes it more likely that this opponent will have the tulip for the end of the game and get points then. It does this really interesting thing where it kind of turns the game into like a zero sum equation where like the resources are all fixed. So the question always becomes, how do you allocate those resources uh, in such a way that's going to most benefit you by the end of the game? Because if you hang on to those cards, you're going to want to find a way to drive up the lower value things that you've hung on to through the use of other resources, right? Because the resource pool is, it, it never changes. There's no real chance in this game, right? Because the cards don't change. 
there's a little bit of variability because you're not going to see every tulip in every game. Like mm. you take some cards out at the beginning of the game. But that's so but, small compared to the, right. the greater pool. Right. How many rounds is it? Because you, you said you, you don't know what the tulips are going to be worth the next few rounds. Right. So it's basically uh, you keep going until the deck is empty okay. and then it's time for the tulip festival and the tulips score. Well, so the way the way you determine the tulips worth is so you can either keep cards put them in this like secret face down area where ostensibly you remember what they are, but you never do give them to your opponent or you play them to the face up tableau in the middle of the table. And when you do that, you might get some resources from it, but that's going to increase the value of the tulip. So like you don't know what the tulips are going to be worth, but it's not like it's random. It's something that people playing into the middle are going to uh, increase. Okay. I, I love the, the concept of, I didn't realize how, um, like I knew it was in Holland, but I didn't realize that there was that history element in it. So I like I like that concept. So well, and the art is very very Dutch. The cards that are not tulips are all showing this sort of blue and white pottery that's very very common to the mm-hmm. Netherlands. Mm-hmm. I love. I actually collect the blue and white pottery personally. <laughs> got got quite a few of those actually in our kitchen. And all of the player tokens are different shapes that are all very Dutch as well. Like there's a wooden clog, there's a bicycle, there's a tulip. So I really liked those little nods in it. Mm -hmm. But mostly I like that this is a game that incentivizes you to give stuff away. Yeah, I like that. Which you don't see As a parent, I can think of a lot of different kids that it would benefit them to have that practice in a game. <laughs> yeah. Yup. Game schooling is a thing. Yeah, it's always, always there on my mind. That's gift of tulips. Gift of tulips. Daniel, you're up. Yeah, my number two is a game that I don't hear anyone talking about ever. Oh, I don't think so. That's uh, Heat. <laughs> <laughs> I almost bought this game yesterday. It's a dark horse. <laughs> yeah, we got, we had uh, Alex Radcliffe from Board Game Co. was in town last week. We shot a playthrough of that with him. He wanted to try it. So we actually got our local game store, um, who we have a good relationship with. They loaned us a copy because they needed to put a demo copy out on the shelf. So they loaned us one to open and to like review and use for the playthrough and then return to them. So we did that. Didn't really know much about it. The only reason we played it, we had seen people playing it, but didn't know anything about the gameplay. But Alex really wanted to try it. So that's the whole reason we did it. Really cool table presence for the playthrough, but just loved the game to the point that like we've probably played it seven or eight times as a family. The boys have played it on their own and probably another 10 times. Yeah. And then we had to take it back and sad, like still want to figure out a way to own it after play. Like it didn't burn itself out after. Wow. After a week of not. No pun intended. No, it just, it's so. (laughs) And I have not played a bunch of racing games, so I don't know what to compare it to or if I don't know how it compares to other racing games, but it was just so, just so much fun and so balanced and almost, um, in the base game and the, cause like you start with just the straight out of the box, everyone is playing with the same deck. And then once you get the hang of that, you can play with advanced cards and you can customize your car, but it's a racing game. You're, you're racing around the track. There's four different tracks and on straightaway, there's no speed limit, but at the beginning of each round, you shift your car into a gear and that is exactly how many cards you have to play. So it's first through fourth gear. And that's, 
you must play the number of cards to the gear that you're in. Mm -hmm. And again, straightaways, you can go as fast as you want. But then when you're going around a turn, each turn has a speed limit shown on the board. And if you exceed that, you have to pay heat cards into your discard pile. And then if you can't pay the heat that you need, then you spin out and you have to go back into first gear. You have to pay, um, you pay everything you can. And then you go back to the line before the, um, before the turn. So it's just this management. uh, And then you can, you can use heat cards to boost, but then you have to be in second gear to cool down, which is where you put (laughs) heat back into your engine. So it's just this, that mechanic was really cool of like managing your heat so that you could either save it up for later so that when you get kind of into that final turn and straight away, you could try and and blow past people. Um, there were some stress cards where you can play and you just turn cards over until you get to a speed card. So there was some like- There was that chance. There, yeah, there was a chance element to it and you can't look through your discard pile so you don't know, like if you don't pay attention, you're like, okay, it could be- you may know, okay, I've got a bunch of fours in my deck, so I'm pretty safe. Or you could really try and make that play and you just flip over ones and you're just puttering along. So <laughs> in that base, everyone using the same deck, it was so well balanced. The argument be it was too balanced. Yeah, there was the slipstream, which is a drafting mechanic. If you end in the space behind or next to someone, you move up two spaces. So it did... It may have been a little too balanced in just the straight out of the box kind of learning tutorial mode because it's a constant back and forth. But also there's no one like no one is left behind fully, which I loved just for family it makes it a really great family yeah. weight game because I mean, there were many times where I was really far behind. Daniel even looked at me. He was like, you, you doing good. You're kind of, you going to catch up. And I was like, I'm good. And I ended up winning. There was that element of, even though you get far behind, so say you have a younger player, there is that really heavy catch up mechanics involved. Yeah. There's multiple catch up mechanics that really, it just makes it so that no one is like 20 spaces behind and just kind of out of the race. And then when you get into the more advanced where you're playing different tracks and you're playing with the customizable card stuff, there's just so, yeah, the the weather variants and stuff. There's just so many ways to make it unique each play and to kind of customize how you play to the cards that you get to customize your car. Like it played really, really smooth. And as someone, I I grew up watching and going to NASCAR races. Mm -hmm. So I had this interesting perspective on on playing the cards i felt like i was playing an actual like video game type yeah. thing where i'm watching my speed sure. i need to slow down in this turn and speed back up and i had that really cool feel as i felt like i was part of the game in that i grew up going to nascar races yeah. so it, it felt really cool having that perspective while we were playing the game yeah and it just it really like lots of sound effects lots of driving the cars oh, around yeah, the curves to, and it just it was <laughs> really it was really immersive, which is sometimes really hard to execute on a tabletop setting because it's plastic and cardboard. So sure, it, it of course. did a really yeah, good yeah. job of making that feel like, yes, I'm just moving my piece up the board, but I really feel like I'm catching up to the card. <laughs> to pass on them. Um, so yeah, now, it was. Have you guys played Downforce? Yes. Yeah. So I've had people ask me how it compares to Downforce, and we've not played. I don't think it, it doesn't sound like it compares to Downforce okay. at all. I would be curious how this compares to a game like Rallyman GT or Formula D, because yeah. Downforce, like you own cars in Downforce, and so you're invested in your cars winning, but you're mm-hmm. not like you're not doing anything with speed or any, you're, there's no mechanical 
aspect to downforce at all. It's literally you play a card. If it has a color, you move that color car, that number of spaces. Like that's as far as it gets. And it's actually more of a bidding game than anything yeah, else. Camelot is a bidding game, kind of like that. Yeah. 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 This game is pure hand management in order to race your car around the track. Yeah. No, this yeah. is not. No, no. Downforce is nothing like that. Yeah. Okay. That's good to have that perspective because I was like, I have no idea how to play that. <laughs> I don't know how it compares. Right. It's a very sad day when we had to take it back to the game store and give it back <laughs> to them. So. But yeah, it, it was fantastic. Really, really loved it. Well, one more. Another one that has no hype at all. Oh, yeah. Nobody I don't know if you've game. ever heard of this game. Uh, tur, tur, turing, turing, oh, Turing Machine. Yeah, it's, that's what it is. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> have you had a chance yeah. to pull this one out? We demoed it at Origins. Origins. Um, have not gotten to play it. We're um, on the list to get it. They yeah. keep selling out. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, I was like madly texting an HR when she was at PAX Unplugged. And I was like, go back. I don't care. Buy the game. Tell Danny. We want the game. Buy the game. Buy. So we're both software engineers. Uh, you know, Alan Turing is the father of modern computer mm. science, right? So th- this game was so far up our alley. I actually stood in line with the hoi polloi at PAX Unplugged. <laughs> the, for the unwashed first masses. Well, no, they have this big area that I think they call the line room or whatever to get onto the show floor at the beginning of every day. Yeah. And I actually went there and waited so that I could get to the Hachette booth at the beginning of the day. Even then, because I didn't want to run across the, you know, sprint across this convention center. Of course, you're a mature adult. Yes. <laughs> um, I got there and they're like, sorry, guys, we sold out. And I was like, oh, man. And I just stood there and talked to my friends at Hachette for a few minutes. One of the other employees was like, oh, hey, I found this copy under a table somewhere. And I was like, can I buy it? Please, please let me buy it. That's what we did. It was all smoke and mirrors. That one, they had lines and lines every day at Gen Con for that game. It was between that one and Acropolis. Yeah. Between those two, those lines were thick. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Turing Machine is a really interesting game. So did you, you did get a chance to play it? We yes. got it. Well, we didn't actually like play, play it, but Danny did show we, it to We us. did a, a, like demo. A, a little demo. Okay. So Turing Machine is this game for everybody who doesn't know somehow where you have no information and you're tasked with finding a three-digit number. And each digit goes from one to six. One to six? One to five. One to five? Okay. <laughs> the way that you have to figure this out is the game has these logic tests, essentially. So depending on which question you have, there's, I think, 20, 20 or 25 in the book. But you can go online. And not only does it just have, like, thousands of them online, it's actually a generator that generates new ones. So it's it's an unlimited amount as long as they keep the website up. And what it does is it says, okay, so you're going to take this test and you're going to put it on spoke A and then this other test on spoke B and this other test on spoke C. And then there's these like decoder cards, which is just like this giant graph of check marks. It's a grid of check marks and X's. And it's going to say, okay, put this particular one as the answer decoder for test A and this particular one, it's the answer decoder for test B, et cetera, and put those face down. And so the tests will be things like, Purple is an even number, yes or no. And so what you do is you take your three digits. So you have the first digit is blue and the second digit is yellow and the third digit is purple. So you take those three 
cards that represent those digits and they've got some holes in them and you line them all up and then you take the answer key that relates to that logic test and you put it behind it and you look and it's only going to show you one square that makes all all the way through and it's either going to be a check or an x but the thing is that you don't even know if it's like oh i'm looking for purple is even all you'll know from the card is this is either looking for purple is going to be even or it's looking for purple is going to be odd. So like the first time you try this this test, you're like, well, I know that my number on purple here is five. So if I look at it, it's giving me an X. Okay, so the number in the final word that I'm looking for, number word, has got to be an even number then because it didn't like the odd number. Right. So it's not just the test, but it also relates to the number that you're trying to push through the test. And so you have to relate those two things together. And the way the game kind of works is ostensibly you do three tests with your set of numbers, although you can stop earlier if you want to. And then you pick another set of numbers based on the logic from the answers that you've gotten from the three tests. And then you kind of keep going. And if you're playing it competitively, you're just trying to figure out the correct number in less tests than all of the other opponents. And it's just this, like my brain hurts trying to figure out how they managed to put everything together for this to be so reusable. But given that this is like literally my career, I have a lot of appreciation for what goes into a game like this. <laughs> well, so that brain hurts and this is your career because I'm like, my brain hurts just thinking about it. Like, <laughs> I, when we get it, like Jared, this is completely up his alley. He loves Turing machine and or Turing Tumblr. That's what it is. And so I like, he's over here listening to you guys describe this and his eyes are getting all big, but that's completely up his alley. If we get it, I'm going to enjoy watching my boys figure this out. Yeah. I mean, look, it's like, this isn't what I do every day <laughs> at work, but it, it's the foundations of computer logic. Yeah, It's a really faithful interpretation of what a Turing machine would look like, kind of, because the idea of a Turing machine is that you're like threading in this tape and it's going through various operations, but some of the operations change the tape and like things can go in circles and whatever. And the game has definitely distilled that down into something where it's like, hey, you are feeding this stuff through the Turing machine, but you don't know what the answer is that's going to go correctly through all the tests. So your job as the human is to figure that out based on these little bits of information that you can glean from it. I have a question, though. What's the quickest you've solved one? Five questions? Five tests. Five tests. And then what's the longest one? Oh, Oh, my gosh. Well, so you can have up to... What is it? It's a hexagon or is it an octagon? It is a hexagon. You could have up so to have six, up to six different conditions that you're trying to satisfy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that the sheets that they give you have maybe eight slots for numbers or something to that effect. But that's 24 questions if you work your way all the way through. If you were solving as a career, you'd want to solve it in a short amount of time. Oh, you, always, yes. But with this, would it feel like you wouldn't get as much out of the game if you solved it right off the bat? No, because you're still, I mean, you're still working towards a solution. And so there definitely are like easier and harder ones, depending on the different kinds of questions yeah. that are being asked. It's the easy ones that we've managed in five. Right, right, uh, right, right. To be clear here. <laughs> But also you get the satisfaction of like, oh, hey, I was able to shortcut this whole thing over here by figuring this piece out early. 
Yeah. Do you ever do those penny press logic puzzle things where it's like this sort of triangular-ish grid and it would give you like a bunch of factual statements and you would put like circles and X's in the way this grid. Yeah. You're trying to figure out who's carrying a basketball and who has. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Yeah, Those things. Like there's a lot of similarities in the way that you think with stuff like that and with this game. Yeah. I got on a kick on those a couple of years ago. I found an app and uh, I I love those. If you love those, you will love this game. Yes. And see, it's not like I, I see the satisfaction in those games and the fun, but it's not my type of game. But I yeah. I mean, it's kind of like some people really like hot food and I'm glad. They <laughs> <do it. laughs> I just know. So, all right, that's OK. Daniel and I will get together and eat hot wings with chopsticks while we play Turing Machine. It's perfect. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. Well, the reason why you're actually here, obviously we talk about family gaming, but the reason that you're here is to talk about play the game. We had you guys on the show like two years ago with your boys to talk about kids planning and play the game is something that grew out of that. And this week, uh, when this show releases, you will be on your third of five play alongs, which are this these really cool videos that you guys are doing uh, where people can actually play games along with you. So we're going to take a quick break. You guys are going to hear about the game Winter which is something that Daniel and Allison are experiencing and we're not right now. (laughs) But when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about play the game, how play the game became a thing. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about those play alongs. uh, And then we're going to wrap up the show. How's that sound, everyone? Sounds Sounds good. good. All right. We'll be right back. It's cold outside. It is. This week, winter began. Puddles are frozen in the mornings, sometimes thawing during the day, but they're frozen in the morning again. It's It's cold. The air is frosty. Actually, it's the perfect time to pull out winter. This is a snap review for winter. Winter is an abstract strategy game for two players that captures the freeze and thaw cycle of a midwinter day. It was created by siblings Maria Blasco and Enrique Blasco. This version is published by DeVere. The box says it's appropriate for ages 8 and up, and it takes about 10 minutes to play. So, Anitra, it's art time. Let's talk about the art. I love the art on the box here. It makes me think of a peaceful walk in a snowy winter wonderland. The kind that lasts for about 10 minutes before you're either cold (laughs) or wet. Winter is a micro game with just 18 cards and some tokens. And while the illustrations are simple, just two sets of snowflakes, they have detail and depth that keep the game visually interesting. Each of the 18 cards has four snowflakes on it, but the arrangement of light and dark flakes varies by card. So, Andrew, what are the mechanics of this game? You play Winter over two rounds, but before getting started, you need to decide which player will use the light blue snowflakes and which player will use the darker blue snowflakes. In the first round, we are freezing. On your turn, you may either take a card from the deck and place it next to other cards on the table, or if there are four snowflakes in your color forming a square, you may place one of your tokens in the middle of that square, covering the border between at least two cards. And that's it. You continue the freezing round until the last card is played onto the table. Now it is time to thaw. In the thawing round, there are no more cards to place. Instead, players may either remove one of their own tokens and return it to their stash, 
remove an open card, which discards it from the game, or move an open card and place one of their tokens. If you choose to move a card, you must move it to a place where it will complete at least one square of snowflakes in your color. Then you put a snowflake token on the newly created square or squares. If removing an open card orphans some of the board, the smaller section of the board that's left simply goes away. Tokens, cards, and all. The game ends when one player is forced to remove their last token from the board. So, Anitra, what did we expect from winter, other than it being cold? <laughs> <laughs> well, I generally like the light card games that I've seen from Devere, and an 18-card game that's not about plants or animals or buildings? It sounded fun. It seemed simple enough from a component perspective, but when I started flipping through the rules, I was actually kind of worried. I was afraid this was going to be some, like, simple-looking game with a lot of, like, weird, twisted-up mechanics. You see those a lot with 18-card games. I know, right? Yeah. So what surprised us about this game? I absolutely love the freeze, thaw, refreeze cycle that's depicted in this game. Living in New England, it is true to what we see for much of the winter. Every time the ice thaws, less of it freezes back as a reminder of spring. I found out that winter is the first in a series of seasonal games by the Blasco siblings. I can't wait to see the rest of them. I do think the players playing this game should be mindful to not necessarily play to a stalemate. This is a game you're trying to have fun. At some point, someone needs to be aggressive or make a move that doesn't perpetuate the standoff. Remove more cards. <laughs> Sometimes those aggressive moves can pay off, though. Maybe if you're a better planner than me, you can make them pay off more consistently <laughs> than they did pay off. This kind of strategy makes so much sense for an 18-card game, though. If there were more cards, it would last forever. Right. So I think it's just the right size. So, Andrew, do we recommend Winter? Well, I don't know if we could, like, recommend Winter. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not the season. But we would recommend the game Winter as a great short head-to-head -head game. It's perfect for short bursts of time, whether you're at home or you're on the go. And with only three rules and no text, it's a great fit for kids who want a strategic game but struggle with reading. Or a couple on a cozy date at a warm coffee shop. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to rate Winter... Four and a half snowflakes out of five. And that's winter in, in a, a snap. snap. And we're back. So we are here with Daniel and Allison Burrell, and we're going to talk about Play the Game and uh, this coming week's play-alongs, I guess? Yeah, so there were a couple of them last week, and then today is the play-along for Deadly Doodles, and you've got a couple more coming up this week. So let's talk about play the game in general. We haven't really, like we talked about kids planning a little while ago. Yeah. We haven't really talked about play the game on the show. So talk about what that is. And then we'll talk about the playlist. Yeah. Well, we, we started kids planning as a pandemic project and the kids were doing great and we were doing all the behind the scenes stuff. And then they were getting to have all the fun. So after <laughs> a couple of very terrible on camera trials for Allison and I, we genuinely started getting more questions about our perspective on stuff and, decided to step in and like, okay, we need to start doing. So we started our like can kids play series and just doing some parent perspectives on stuff and doing more video stuff and, and getting more comfortable with that. And then we really started to get some one. It was, it, there was the awkwardness of me introducing welcome back to kids planning at the beginning of a video. It was a little awkward. Yeah. yeah just And then we just started to run into like 
hearing feedback of we would post a video that was obviously adult geared, but people would see that it's at youtube.com slash kids planning. And they were like, why would I watch that? That's a kid's channel. And so we this summer decided to make the switch earlier this year. We started looking at like we have a production company. We have all the equipment to do playthroughs. We just don't have a space to do it. And we kept seeing people saying like, hey, why doesn't someone bring back tabletop? So we were like, hey, why don't we do that? So we kind of jumped in. We renovated our office space and built a studio. And now we have a fully customized board game studio with seven cameras. And we're trying to do tabletop without the famous people is kind of the what we're describing it as. But it's just been we're trying to fill that playthrough space of really high quality, high production playthroughs. And we've had some great fun bringing in other people from the community, other content creators, bringing in publishers and things like that. We wanted to do this for multiple reasons, because we found a space that we don't want to leave. We love the tabletop space. We love the community that the content creators and just that we, we love this. And so we wanted to keep on. It's like, how can we make this more sustainable without being a burden on the kids? Because they are kids and we Mm -hmm. want them to be able to enjoy being kids and not being like, okay, we need to go back to the studio and shoot this because we need to put content out. Yeah. They, we need to be able to have content that wasn't just on their shoulders. They still enjoy making those and we want them to keep enjoying making those and not feel like it's work. Right. Balancing all that out really is what play the game, how that came about. And as far as like the name change, like we had a hard time changing the name because kids planning meant so much to our family and it was, it was an emotional change. But that's kind of how we, um, how we came up with it, like we we named the series "Play the Game." That was the playthrough series, mm-hmm. um, and again, that was really just born out of a like, what can we do that most people can't? Like, what what can we do that is going to be unique to the industry? And because of our production background and the resource that we had at our disposal, it was high production stuff. That's what we had available without having to invest a bunch of money and. In sure. upgrading stuff. So we started the play the game series on kids planning. And then the more we got into that, the more we put stuff out, the more we heard like back from some friends, like I've, I've sent these to people cause they're great, but they won't watch them because they're on a channel that has kid in the name. So yeah. that's where we really just decided, Hey, let's just flip things and let's do. Well, we tried, the, we tried different yeah. names. We were, we'd play with a few different names and um, yeah. To have kids planning a kids playing series on that, and then the play the game yeah. series on that, and just have it be like this hub, and then someone was like, "Just play yeah. the game. Just yeah. why why not just use that?" And so that's when we switched. Play the game is is apparently a big a big song. Yeah, <laughs> know that there, we we made some tactical SEO errors in the name. <laughs> You know, we're so play the game HQ is something that we could. So we we so the channel is play the game HQ. Play the game is the playthrough series. Kids planning is still a series on play the game, and then we have so, and we're we're working through it. We had some health stuff going on. We had a surprise pregnancy. We didn't we didn't execute the best rebranding in the world. (laughs) Literally, Literally, the night we recorded our. We're changing the name and that we, uh, we're we kind of moving out of the kids' planning Spe- specifically realm. Specifically aging out, like our that kids was, are, yeah. are, are aging out of it. That night, I found out I was I had a surprise pregnancy. Yeah, um, well, not aging out anymore. 
I will say I really like the one three five series that you guys did. I missed that. Yeah, yeah. We've started a few of those, yeah. and just the time commitment in that is is yeah hard. for sure. Well, that's see, as a content creator, I can appreciate the time commitment, which is why I'm telling you that I like them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we we had this has been a a very physically difficult pregnancy, and it just those are. Like I'm we, currently on bed rest. Yeah. So. <laughs> so, yeah. so it just got hard because with those, we either need to shoot it at the studio or play it and immediately go to the studio so we can do just our raw reactions. And the games that work best for that format, and for anyone listening that's not familiar with it, it's a, we shoot three reviews in one video. So we do a review after our first play, our third play, and our fifth play. Because one it's video, really, yeah. three reviews, five plays. And so it's really fun. freeing because it's like I can just give my raw reaction without having to think about how it was five games ago when I played the first one. Like we can just, right. we sure, can make sure. mistakes and we can correct those in the later segments. We've done a few of those that we never posted because it was like this game is, there's change. nothing changed between plays one and play five. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. it works huh. really okay. well with games that have different variants or that are just really heavy and you like game one is a slog and game mm-hmm. three and five, you're actually really, you feel like you know yeah. what you're doing. So yeah, cool. yeah we, we will definitely be doing more of those. We really enjoy that format. It's just finding the games that are worth it for the commitment and that are a good fit and aren't just, Here's our review of it, and we're going to come back two more times and say, "Yep, nothing's changed." <laughs> yeah. So, so what would you say? Kind of your the channel's like primary offerings are right now. Um, our offerings are the kids tutorials, and then our playthrough series is really the the main horses yeah. of the channel. But mm-hmm. then we also do reviews, and we've started doing these unboxings with multiple cameras, really good yeah. close-ups. And the boys are actually taking up editing doing that. So we, they've stepped down a little bit as far as being like a presence on the channel, but their fingerprints are all over yeah. it in their editing mm-hmm. and, and things like that. So, so we've, yeah, we stepped back a, like a month ago and we're like, we have a table with seven cameras pointed at it. What else can we do there? So we've started doing like, yeah, doing the unboxings with really, really tight close-ups on components and, it just tried. They're not cinematic. They're just multi-camera, and we have a really, really tight close-up on one spot on the table. So if there's a cool meeple or miniature or something, we can set it there and show that. But I think our biggest, our biggest offering that I don't think really anyone else is doing in the way that we're doing it is the playthroughs because yeah. we've got seven cameras. They're really tightly edited. There, we take a two and a half hour playthrough and cut it down. Our goal is 30 minutes. Our goal is the tabletop standard of under 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. That requires a little bit of time lapsing that we're getting into, but we have mm-hmm. anytime there's a card that's played, we show that graphically on screen as an overlay so that it's really easy to follow along. We have music, we have in the supporting graphics and really just trying to do a really high production element. That's just not, for good reason, not being done widely. Because it takes time yeah. and skill and equipment and yeah. <laughs> all sure. those things. Yeah. That, and that kind of leans into why we decided to do, it was Daniel's idea a couple months ago. He was like, I really want to do like a play along. Like a series. Saturday morning play along. Like have coffee and do a rolling right with me. So he was kind of flirting with the idea. And then he was like, what if we did like, a holiday one where we just do a couple of games over the holidays where, cause you've got families that want to play games, but it's kind of hard to lead your family in it. Mm-hmm. It's easier if someone else can do it. Mm-hmm. 
And so all you do is sit down with your paper. So we partnered up with a few publishers and they got the print files for us. And a few of them actually have gave us discount codes to offer to people as well. And so with the same concept of multiple cameras, really immersive. And then Daniel's putting everything on the screen that you would need if the game was right in front of you. So it's not like you're trying to squint like with cartographers that launched on Friday. Oh, yeah everything's on the screen. You're not trying to be like, wait, all right, wait, what am I doing? And he even has it like, cause there's four seasons and yeah, you need to be, look kind of think ahead of how you're placing your stuff on the map. And so he has all those cards available yeah, for you, you to see. If you've played cartographers with the play mat, it's laid out the same way. So our, mm-hmm. our video is at the top centered and then all the four scoring cards are at the bottom. And we faded out the ones that aren't being used that season. And then each of the, um, the exploration cards come out, they fade in stacked up as they come in. And it just, we really wanted it immersive ish, but really easy to follow along. So they're not nearly as tightly edited. There's no, we give you time. So hopefully you don't have to pause. Yeah. There's nice elevator Christmas music underneath (laughs) them as we're drawing. And it really just, we present the game. We teach it how to play. There's chapter markers. So if you know how to play, you can jump to where it starts. And then we flip over the card and then just kind of do close-ups of us coloring and, and drawing and then put nice music under it. And we come back when it's time to flip the next card. So <laughs> our, our goal with Play the Game, when it was kids planning, our mission has not changed. With kids planning, it was to get more families playing games. And it has not changed yep. at all. Mm-hmm. And it's mm-hmm. just another one of those things we're adding to the puzzle of how can we help more people have a gaming experience? This is just one, another one of those elements. Now, obviously, with when you're doing video, you can really only do roll and write or flip and writes when yeah. we're wanting to do this. You can't play a board game on the table like that yeah. <laughs> over, over right. YouTube. Right, right. So this is just one of those ways where we can step into that space of trying to fill a gap with allowing people to have an experience and let their families play more games. So our our goal has not changed, even with the name change. We're just becoming bigger and hoping to have a wider reach because this industry is still so small. And you watch what Target's doing and what Walmart and these other big commercial stores, their, their gaming area on their shelves is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. But it's still just so many families are still just stepping from Monopoly to these right. other games. Yep. And so there's the reach, just we want to make that broader so more families don't feel intimidated when they walk into these stores. It's like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to grab, what would fit. And so we're just trying to be that resource still for these families. And at the I same time, it. be entertainment for like, that's the, I think with what we're doing, especially with the playthrough series is our goal is to create entertainment that just happens to be centered around board games, which is what Tabletop was. Tabletop right. was entertainment that happened to be centered around people playing board games. And we want to be the exact same thing. It's been a, Allison and I have both spent our entire lives behind the scenes. We were both stage managers for high school productions and behind the camera people. And I was a video editor for a mega church. And yeah, it's been a huge challenge and stretch. And like, I'm still, I've gotten better, but if you watch our earlier playthroughs, you can still see me looking off camera and seeing, like, <laughs> looking to just make sure everything's still recording. And for the first 25 episodes, we had to pick one camera to look like that we could see on a monitor, and everything else was just, we knew it was recording and we hoped Thanks. that it didn't. Yeah. So we, yeah. we could see the overhead camera, but that's it. So now we have, we have visibility on six of the seven cameras. We that's can so kind of nice. see. 
We've gotten better at what our close-ups are and just we've gotten better on cameras. We have Devin from Devin Talks Tabletop. He's in Little Rock also. Mm-hmm. And he so he's kind of our our third player that we've built this series with. And just we've gotten better at the banter. We've loosened up. We've gotten better at being not self-deprecating, but that just willing to lean into the fun and the kind of just just that side of it. So true. What we want it's, is for people to see themselves at the table. Yep. We're playing the game. We're having a blast playing the game. It's entertaining. Okay, yeah. I can see my family playing this game. Yep. That was my, in corporate stuff and doing fundraising videos and all that in the past, kind of my standard was always, if after I'm done editing it, I've seen it 25 times, if it still touches me, if it still impacts me and I still enjoy it, it's probably pretty good. And that's oh, kind yeah, of- we'll laugh at like that. My with these is okay. What's what's not entertaining me after ten passes through it? Okay, well, let's let's trim that out and let's just take a scalpel to it and get it. I'm still for most of them. I'm pretty entertained by them after I'm done editing them. So <laughs> that's a, that's a good sign. So I think we're doing we're putting out good stuff, and we just again our our biggest struggle is just getting people to see what's behind the thumbnail because it's what's hard. Yeah. You can make really, really nice thumbnails for videos that are shot on an iPhone. So we're trying to get people to see what we have, to see what we're offering, to see the production quality and just the fun that we're having and realizing that we're also going through basically a, a little bit of a reboot with the, yeah. the name change and how that probably could have done been done way better so that people... We have, we have time. Yeah. There's, there's forgiveness in that because we're starting another year. Yeah. Um, I really think last year was kind of a kind of like a soft opening type feel yeah. <laughs> of understanding, okay, who we are, what we're about. And now we're kicking off 2023 yeah. with a lot of momentum, a lot of energy, and we've got a really good following behind us. We just need to spread the word and get more people yeah. to, to see what we're putting out there. And we've got so much like we've got, I think we technically if we call the playalongs episodes, then we're at 30 episodes. Mm-hmm. And then we have 10 in the can that we have shot that need to be edited so I can clear space off my hard drives. Well, also, uh, <laughs> well, I'm a baby, so yeah. I'm not going to be on camera for a little bit. But right. they, yeah, so yeah. We, of course, we've got a lot coming up and just having a really good time doing it. And hopefully like our long term goal, like what the reason we built out that space and built it the way we did was so that publishers could come in and mm-hmm. and designers could come in and showcase their game in a way that they just can't do anywhere else. And we're excited to do more of that this year. And yeah, it's, it's been a really fun project. So, so let's uh, do a quick review. The play alongs are all going up. Uh, Some of them are up already and the rest will be going up this week. Yes. You've got railroad Inc. And railroad Inc. Challenge. Yep. So we have railroad Inc. was the first one Then we have cartographers, just the base game. Didn't want to throw in anything too complicated. uh, That was Friday. For anyone who hasn't played. And then today, assuming this, I don't know what time this posts, but Monday <laughs> at nine, we have Deadly, Deadly Doodles, Doodles, which is a fantastic, like super simple family roll and write. And yeah. it's the Christmas map that they have on their website from Steve Jackson. Oh, it's, cool. a, it's a Santa face that is so difficult. It's a really, really challenging map. But Deadly Doodles is an awesome family roll and write. It's one of Peyton's favorite games. And um, then we have On Tour which is from boardgametables.com, which they've actually rebranded. Now all play. All play. Yep. Um, now all play. That yep. one, that one's fun. Cause you're just, you're, you're, you're a like, tour you're band on tour. 
Yeah. It's amazing how many <laughs> rolling rights throw you into jobs that you have no business doing. You're a tour manager, you're a city planner, you know, civil engineer and yeah. railroad inc. And and just just terrible at it. Yeah, I'm very uh, yeah. bad at all of those things. So Yeah, so five total. They're very laid back and Again, all the print files are included in the description. So if you don't own the game, you can print it off. Everything's on screen, really easy to look at. If you like those, let us know because we would love to do more. We're toying with the idea of doing a, probably not weekly, but maybe a couple times a month. Like I would love to do like a Saturday morning roll and write just almost yeah, destination yeah. series where it's just you get your coffee and play a game with us on Saturday mornings and, and do that. So yeah, love it. Yeah. Sounds fun. All right. Well, I, I think that brings us directly into where can people find everything? <laughs> because obviously, um, you know, all these things are, are amazing and great. You ha- you do have a ton of content. I need sure that actually has the website up now. There's just yeah. a ton of it. So if people are interested in these play alongs or really any of the stuff that they can find with play the game, where are the best places to go to see it or maybe even reach out and communicate with you guys? Play the game HQ everywhere. Um, yeah. And then we have our youtube.com forward slash play the game HQ on it's the same on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, Facebook. And then on Facebook, we actually have a play the game community group, which is we have a lot of people interacting and where we're trying to tell people to go when they when they've done one of these play along series to go and share with the community there, their score and things like yeah, that. Yeah, there's so a post for each game. So you can go there and, and share it in the comments, share a picture of your map. And- yeah. But yeah, that, that community group has been a lot of fun to be a part of as yeah. well. But yeah, just so play yeah. the game HQ is where you can find us. But primary place is youtube.com slash play the game yep. HQ. Sweet. All right. Anitra, what's the primary place where people can find us? Um, well, the best place is to go to our website, thefamilygamers.com. On thefamilygamers.com, you'll find all sorts of reviews, including this podcast. Uh, and you'll find all the places that you can find us on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, at, at FamilyGamersAA. Uh, we also have a Facebook community, which people are probably sick of hearing us talk about by now. Oh, how could you be sick but, of talking about it? But I love the community, <laughs> and I think it's a great place to go hang out with other like-minded parents mm-hmm. who are trying to play games with their families or people who just have kids in their lives. Uh, yes. Yes. They're not parents. all parents. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's true. Or uh, just child at heart. You know? <laughs> sure. Yes. I mean, I'm, I'm that as well. So yeah. I fit, I fit multiple roles. Yes. <laughs> but the easiest way to get there is go to thefamilygamers.com slash community, or you can look for the family gamers community on Facebook. Yes. We're in the play the game community. And I think you guys are in our community as well. So you can find all four of us in all of those those places. Yeah. Of course, you can always email us, Andrew at thefamilygamers.com. Anitra at thefamilygamers.com. When this show comes out, it is after Christmas. It is also after Hanukkah. So I don't know what uh, the schedules of the other holidays are, but you can always buy Family Gamers merchandise at thefamilygamers.com forward slash merch. And until the end of the year, our promo code GIFTS is actually still active. So even if it's not a Christmas gift or a Hanukkah gift, or if it's a late one, use promo code GIFTS, G-I-F-T-S, to get 10% off. Don't forget about those January birthdays. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Anitra has a January birthday. Uh, Yes. Do I have to buy you another Family Gamers shirt for your birthday? No. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Anitra has more than I do. So I I have a lot of Family Gamers shirts now. (laughs) Please don't forget to subscribe to this podcast if you like what you're hearing and tell your friends about the podcast and, you know, also about Play the Game, probably. Please do. (laughs) The Family Gamers is sponsored by First Move Financial. Go to firstmovefinancial.com slash familygamers to learn how the team at First Move Financial can help you pile up the victory points.
Thanks so much to the team at First Move for sponsoring the show. Thank you guys so much for having us yeah, on. This, this was, was fun. a lot of fun. Yeah, it's been a ton of fun. Um, we are super thankful to have you guys in our greater board game family lives. Uh, it's yeah. it's really been a lot of fun to watch you guys grow. I, I don't just mean Peyton and Jared like getting older. <laughs> I, mean, I mean the channel and stuff. But but there's that part too. So um, so thanks so much for for coming on the show. Yeah, yeah thanks, thanks for having awesome. us. All right. Well, Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah. Happy New Year, everybody. We are delighted to have been able to spend this time with you. And the next time we talk, it's going to be 2023. Yes. Oh, that's crazy. So until then, play, play games, games with, with your, your kids. kids.